welcome to Season 9 of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today I have the great privilege of introducing you to Valentina Caputo. She is a passionate early childhood professional with experience in bringing children's active citizenship into practice. She has worked across the globe and her teaching philosophy is inspired by the legendary Reggio Emilia. We talked about how to create those magic moments in your classroom and the role of play-based learning. Valentina was a breath of fresh air and it was a pleasure speaking to her. I hope that you get as much out of this wide-ranging discussion as I did. Please enjoy. Valentina, thank you so much for joining me. Where are you phoning in from? Uh, I am calling from Hangzhou, China. And thank you for having me, Matthew. Oh, oh, no problem. Um, What's it like over there? Um, Are you living there long term? Um, Yeah. What's it like over in in China? Um, So I joined this uh, international school last July. And I'm planning to stay here, I think, long term, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And where are you uh, originally from? What's your background? You don't sound like you have a Chinese accent. I am Italian. Okay. Um, yeah. And then I moved to Melbourne and I lived there for seven years. So I did my uh, Bachelor of Early Years. And then I worked there and then moved back to Italy because of COVID. And then after two years, so last July, um, we moved in China. Fantastic. And quite possibly the most important uh, conversation, uh, sorry, most important question, excuse me, of our conversation. What's your coffee order? I love uh, um, a soy cappuccino. Okay. I know there's a uh, a wonderful coffee culture both in Italy, but also in Melbourne. Um, have you? Uh, in Melbourne, yes. Yeah, the the two coffee capitals of the world, I think, Italy and Melbourne. Um, uh, what what's an item that's still on your bucket list? Um, what would you like to still uh, still do? Um, I guess uh, opening a small forest school. Um, okay. Yeah, with a few friends that are in Melbourne. And so definitely aiming to come back to Australia at some point okay. um, or a beach for a school, something that is very close to nature um, and just do a progressive school, um, very project based and play based. Fantastic. And we will um, we will get into all of your wonderful work um, in a moment and some of your uh, philosophy and your experience with play based education and also early childhood. Uh, it is absolutely uh 
Uh, fascinating. I, I promise we will get to it. Um, is there a book that you have read? Uh, it could be in regards to education or it could be more broadly uh, that has made you stop and reconsider a few things in your life. Um, there's a book that I can't recall right now the title uh, from Bruno Munari. Uh, he was a designer, um, an architect uh, from Italy. Uh, and he uh, was really like uh, avant-garde and he taught it at Harvard as well. He traveled around the world, but the way he saw um, the world and then he implied it into education as well with young children through Reggio yeah. Emilia, um, just change and re revolution my whole perspective of living really and wow. bringing fun and yeah channeling my energy my creative energy in, in a different way yeah fantastic and um is there something that you have uh recently changed your mind about it could be personally it could be professionally well professionally i yeah. come from a very strong um and sound experience with zero to three years old yeah. Uh, but coming to China, I've been offered to become a Europe leader and teacher for uh, prep children, which still is in the kindergarten uh, system yeah. here in China. So it's not primary school. And that was, I think, the biggest challenge I had in the past two years because I was um, I put a lot of expectations on myself in terms of, you know, a different curriculum. Um, expectations, you know, to to prove uh, new country and everything. Um, but instead, these beautiful eighteen children have been healing my inner child. Yeah, um, yeah. So has been a reciprocal, uh, fluid uh, exchange of of beautiful energies, and I've been growing and yeah, accepting a different stage of early childhood. Yeah, that's really lovely, and. Uh, you talked a little bit about um, your uh, upbringing uh, in uh, Italy. Um, what was what was that like, and what are you most grateful for uh, from your parents? Um, I am an only child, and Same. both my parents have been always a bit alternative, especially my mom. Uh, no rules, uh, really, no rules, and I struggle with that until I was probably a teenager and then I loved it. So that was really helpful for me to see things outside the box, in the box, everywhere. Uh, so I'm grateful for them to really have trusted me in my being um, Valentina and nurtured me in that way. Yeah. And on that sort of thread of trust, um, how has the way that you were brought up impacted um, you as a parent? What are some of the things that you have taken from your childhood and some of the things that you have maybe changed slightly? Well, I started to learn how to put boundaries with my yeah. children, especially because I had, yeah, I mean, still learning about it. Um, especially because my children have a nine-year gap. Um, so I have a very strong-willed, uh, nearly 12 years old, and a very strong-willed, nearly three years old. Um, and I think it's just a daily reflection on myself as a person rather than just a parent. I'm, I'm their guide here. I'm their custodian until they really can walk with their feet and... Um, 
I guess from my from your question, what my parents have left me is um, the opportunity to imagine, to not take assumptions, um, but really try to to trust our children and and see where they where they take us. Yeah, I think that's that's so incredibly important. And and what are some of the things that you've obviously very well traveled? I mean, obviously being, being born in Italy and, and spending some time in Australia and also in China. Um, what are some of the things that you um, notice about great education systems when it comes to early childhood? Um, I'd say that the, the best teachers are the best the best people that reflect on themselves. So that makes a great educational system. And where there's a system where you're constantly put into looking at yourself and what you do, not just as a teacher, but as a person, then you have really exceptional um, educational practices. Because really, we are, um, we 18, 20, 25 little humans like facing each other every single day. And if you don't have that perspective of, oh, I might be wrong right now. Let me reconsider. Let me re-research. Let me reimagine and take the risk and courage to, you know, push and challenge status quo. Um, yeah, there's no real, real exceptional education. Yeah. And I've got, I'm the proud dad of two uh, very strong uh, independent girls, um, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And one of the most wonderful privileges that I have as a dad is is watching them play and watching them explore and construct and, and, um, and what, what, what can you say about those, the importance of that? Um, of developmental play and of, of taking risks in in the early years? And how do we do as parents a better job um, of facilitating that? Um, play is really the life playground. And we often underestimate that. But children really explore themselves and everything around them and any um, possible um, new reality through play so as you said and i'm i'm very happy that um you have two girls and they are strong-willed because we need more of them um but more. play give them that yeah give that give them that opportunity to reimagine challenge stereotypes and i think as a parent um especially with girls um making sure that there's no um, a stereotype, for example, you know, you can play with constructions or um, I don't know, you need to like pink if you like another color uh, or there's something wrong. Um, and just embrace the child as it is at that point. Um, and I want to say uh, um, my personal experience, my elder daughter, when she was four, she was a kinder and um, she kind of was excluded to play with boys because she was very spirited and, you know, climbing on trees and everything. And they said to her, you know, we don't play with girls whatever, and whatever. So she came home one day and she said, from today, I'm Jack. And she wanted to shave her hair. She had, you know, curly, wavy hair. And she was like, I'm a boy. I'm a boy. And at that point, I was like, 
or, or okay, how do I, you know, navigate this? But I just let her explore this because I found it fascinating how she was um, building, you know, articulating her identity through this yeah. opportunity. Yeah. And so after six months, you know, it faded. But um, yeah, it, it's just being open and listen to, to what the children say and, and take it as an observer rather than putting our judgment and expectations or prejudice. Yeah. Is that something which um, as a parent you are constantly learning how to do with your own children? Um, is that is that sort of like... <laughs> I'm so I, I feel like I'm treading this this line between wanting to protect my children from everything, but also letting them explore the world and to make mistakes and to hurt themselves. Is that a tension that you feel uh, as a parent as well? Yeah, and I think as a society right now, um, it, we haven't been really supported as parents yeah. to go through it. I guess our previous generation was because their parents. It's just used, you know, to the, the war or whatever, you know, um, challenging time they had. So they were kind of equipped by life, you know. Mm. You have to go through it no matter what. There's not really a lot of parents that were very supportive and yeah and present. Um, but for us, I think it's kind of challenging because things have changed. And again, society doesn't really equip us as um, a whole community you have to build your um your network and your extended yeah. family yeah yeah absolutely i mean there's there's so much in that there's almost a um a whole podcast series in itself on developmental play and and, and taking risks and i know a um a, a huge hero of mine who i had the privilege of speaking to a little while ago um uh parsi Solberg talks a lot about the importance of play and the importance of actually allowing children to be children. Um, I remember when I was, um, uh, I think, nine or ten and I used to climb up trees and steal apples and fall out of the trees and hurt myself. And I would be, um, I'm quite apprehensive at the moment to let my children do that. I don't know if we are protecting our children too much or, or how, do you, how do you think we begin to foster this sense of self-discovery in children or is it something which has already been there and we just need to get out of the way or how do we how do how do we try and do a better job of that um i think turning off the phones yeah. and especially social media because there's a lot of pressure on being the perfect parent and mm. everyone is entitled to give their opinion how they're you know their parent their child and and there's really a lot of pressure to be this perfect parent, um, allowing really ourselves to make mistakes and make mistakes with the children and just embrace that mm. um, that moment of, you know, I don't know, or, hey, I feel worried that you are up there on the tree and, and see what they say. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have my older child, like she's called me so many times, especially once really changed my perspective we were late for my my work and I was just dragging her to the train station she probably was six and then she looked at me and she was like mom why are we you know going so fast is work more important than family and I was like oh, oh, oh. oh broke your heart I get parent guilt is real exactly yeah. it's just that 
moment that you're like considering is it five minutes really making a difference than dragging my child for half an hour and yeah. being stressed about and anxious about what example I'm giving her you know yeah. what um yeah yeah so I think that's that, that's so incredibly important. I mean, one of the things that that we do um, at, at our home, and it sounds so simple, is we just create space and have family dinner every night around the table. Um, we we try to, we don't get it right all the time, but it's just an opportunity to to look into my girls' eyes and talk to them and ask them what their day was like. And we have this thing where we each say to each other what we ask each other what our favorite thing was for that day, and and quite often. It's they'll say having dinner with my family or going to the park or playing with my friends. And it's really made me think about um, the things that we think are important, um, like having a beautifully tidied home and a, and, and a wonderful, um, a, a wonderful um, a, a, a place where all your washing is folded and it looks really lovely actually aren't the things that matter. It's those conversations with our kids. It's the discussions around the dinner table. It's the it's trusting them to take risks. And and I think for me, it's been about getting back to some of those essentials um, with being a parent and trying to support our kids to, uh, um, and even saying things like, I trust you, go and make a decision. Like, I trust you, go and, and it breaks my heart because I don't want them to to hurt themselves, but life is painful and 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 challenging and and um really difficult at times and so um i was just wondering um what are some of the um what are some of the similarities that you notice traveling to different countries about great um early uh, childhood education systems uh, what are some of the things that they do really well that's a very good question um in a lot i traveled yeah well, I found Australia is, at least Melbourne, is really Victoria ahead, and I guess um, the rest of, of the states as well, um, is really ahead on play-based um, learning and supporting parents. Um, there's been a really, really uh, big shift since, I think, 2008 when they introduced a framework, um, and I really could see how important it is for the government and for funding, uh, and increasingly, increasingly so. Also, as a culture, um, you guys are used to, you know, like to go outdoor camping. Like for you, being outdoor is a big, big, big aspect of your of your culture. Is very, very, um, generally speaking, as, as Australian. Um, Italy, on that sense, is way behind, although yeah. we have some excellence like Reggio Emilia, um, Montessori, that really was um, very progressive for, for our time, still is not recognized um, all over Italy. Um, so still you have a top-down kind of schooling and teaching um, still you have children sitting at the desk or um, not having lots of hands-on opportunity uh, in early years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and it's, uh, it's shifting, but not as much as I've seen in Australia. Yeah. China, I'm pretty still a newbie, and I can discuss more about the international schools because it's a little bit different system yeah. from the public school. Yes. And I'm very lucky to be oh yeah, I'm very lucky to be in a very um special international school 
So we have uh, goats, uh, we have a mud kitchen, we have um, project-based learning, um, which is not that common here in China. Um, so I'm pretty lucky to continue my wonderful exploration about rainbow unicorns and um, <laughs> really, you know, play hard in the mud and, yeah, still is, is, do you think there's very a much at the Yes, it's so important and it sounds wonderful. I mean, I would love to be a kid in a school with a mud kitchen and it sounds it sounds amazing. Do you think, though, that there is an issue? Um, like, I guess it's a much broader question about how schools are structured from the early years right up until high school and university because do you think that sometimes that transition from a play-based approach and then into a more structured school is particularly challenging with kids? Um, it. it has there been much work done around that continuation through the different levels of schooling? Overall, I think it's um, one of the biggest challenge. Um, also for, not just for the children, which is, um, I mean, who, who suffer when they do that transition and they're not welcome in an environment that is so open, inclusive, play-based. Um, although there's some shifting right now, also in Australia, UK, um, they're extending that play-based um, environment until year three, pretty much, which is fantastic. Um, but it impacts a lot on the teachers because for me, the core problem is um, how teachers are trained. And unfortunately, still now, um, many primary um, years um, degrees do not include um, as much as study placement and understanding of child development for the early years, which I found mm -hmm. so fundamental. Mm -hmm. And I could I can see it now working in a school that goes from two years old to 18 years old, how the primary school trained teachers don't have that, um, that sense of not playfulness, but um, real holistic kind of understanding that it's okay it's looking more at the process rather than uh, the product the result um what you have to prove to the parents to the board to the you know community the expectations and so i think really to change things should be from um, the teacher training perspective mm. first yeah, yeah. yeah really Really, really important because, of course, uh, a child development is a, a continuation of learning uh, right from uh, birth all the way through university and beyond. And, and I think it makes sense to really think about how we are um, addressing the issues as a whole, um, as opposed to just kind of plugging gaps. Um, I, I, I would love your thoughts. Um, uh, I would love your thoughts on assessment, um, especially in the early years. What if we should be doing that, um, how we should be doing that, and um, how do we begin to build um, student competencies in some of those sort of non-traditional areas? That's a, a huge question, uh, but I will let you pick that apart uh, as you see fit. Thank you. <laughs> um, so let's consider assessment as making a decision based on observation. So if we do look at it, in that way, we do assessment pretty much every second of our life, you know? Yes. And I think it's incredibly important to um, frame it in this way 
to not be scared of assessment, especially with young children, but to um, use a, a pedagogy of listening, as they would say in Reggio Emilia. So being able to really listen with your ears, with your eyes, with your whole body and um, really look at uh, the whole environment, the child development, the child uh, background, the family, um, how they interact with each other, how they build a social identity, um, and in which context and time are we. Um, so in that sense, I think it's fundamental to have a very strong assessment um, and build as a team, build as a team what criteria we're looking at. So for me, it's interesting to see how Australia, and I talk, of course, generally, uh, but my experience was in Melbourne. So Melbourne, Italy, and China work in different and similar uh, kind of tracks. So we have the, um, in Australia, you have the early year um, framework for development, which is very open, um, which is very, um, yeah, open for interpretation according to um, what is the organization, value mission, uh, what kind of systems they implement and they get assessed, but it's, it's very open to interpretation. Then you have Italy, which has not really a framework as such, and so they still are on checklists, um, very traditional way to see the child as it needs to get, you know, to, from step A to step B. And then we have international school, or at least my context, where we have a very deep um, evidence-based and data-based, a collection of, a, of, of data, of observations, but also linked with project-based learning, which is collecting child's voice, um, the child's spirit through their own um, through their own eyes, through art, music, and so. What I can say after all these experiences so far is that um, assessment is in everything. Yes, how we make the decision, how um, what perspective we look at. Um, is important and how also subjective we are, how do we bring up on view on things is important. I am super duper passionate about um, art and movement. So for me, if a child can integrate within their soul and their body and their spirit, um, their whole uh, senses, for me, it's already done. This child, you know, is going towards the, the best and optimal well-being and involvement. Um, while I know other teachers are more practical and more task-based, so it all comes to what assessment is for for us, what is the purpose, and what criteria we give to it. Mm. Yeah, it's it's so refreshing to see. Um, to see your passion uh, and obviously this we're not releasing this uh, in a video it will be audio only but for those people that are listening you're uh, sitting in your room uh, with your kids uh, in the other room and your face is just lit up when you talk about the possibilities and just the incredible um, uh, yeah opportunities with early childhood education and it's it's so inspiring and, I, and I'm incredibly grateful that um that there are people like you, so many people like you with your passion and your dedication and your commitment. 
um, that are giving um, students that head start in life because it's it's so so important. And I, what do you think are some of the the misconceptions about early childhood education when you when you talk to people at a at a barbecue or out on the uh, out in a cafe and they ask you what you do? Uh, what do you think are some of the the misconceptions? Well, the first one that I think many, many other early years teachers can relate to is, oh, you play all day, which is great, actually. It's a compliment for me. That means I'm doing my job very well. Yeah. Uh, but for other people, means that you're not really doing a lot. Yeah. Um, or and you're this just, is like, babysitting or something, you know, and it's like, I'm not babysitting. Um, like, yeah. I actually think things is, are changing right now. I love that. Yeah. After yeah, because after COVID, especially parents and I think overall, there's been a little bit more interest in early childhood because if we weren't there, you know, many, many people couldn't go to work and that would have impacted a lot um, other professions. So I think it started to shift a little bit. I hope it will, you know, change and there will be an effective change to be recognized. Yeah. as a profession but that's a whole new podcast yeah. um <laughs> but yeah i found it the most honestly upsetting um view like the view i i see in in other people's eyes is from primary school teachers when i took them it's even in my school like when i talk to them about what we do and how we do it and they look at me like mm-hmm yeah. okay yeah, but you know, you know, it's not going to work out. And it really makes me feel like, um, why, you know, why we have to be two separate worlds when we are working on a continuum. And yeah, there will be so much more powerful and impactful if we could work together, if we could have the same um, goals. Yeah. Um, also because, I mean, we all learn through play, like we all learn as human beings um, through pleasurable um, learning op opportunities, not just things that go wrong, things that are bad, things that we have to do, you know? Of course, there are things we have to do, but what really is integrated in our soul, what really speaks to our heart and uh, sparks, you know, our imagination and, and the best ideas, is when it is sourced from from joy, from um, passionate moments, from from living, you know, um, live moments. Um, and so, why don't provide that for everyone? Why do we want all the children older than five years old to suffer, to you know, to go through pain? Like, yeah. it's it's very interesting yeah. how we work as humans. It's. It, it's so it, it is it's, it's fascinating and I think about some of I've, I have had the privilege of being teacher of teaching for um oh gosh 16 years which I know I don't look that old but it's good lighting you know uh but I've been for about 16 years and some of my favorite um uh, my favorite teaching years um were actually in kindergarten because I loved um seeing the creativity and the excitement and the wonder in these children and i always say that it's being a kindergarten teacher is great for your ego because whatever you do they're always excited to see you 
Uh, and I, I I worked in an area in Sydney that that so many um, so many students just didn't have access to um, early um, early education because it wasn't um, uh, it was a luxury that pa many parents couldn't afford. And that's a whole nother conversation around access to great early education. But I remember seeing the difference between those students that did and those students that didn't. And it was um, it was really quite scary uh, to see um, uh, see the variety in all the different types of um, uh, abilities that students had. And um, I'm not sure if you're all aware, but the Australia or New South Wales New South Wales government, where I am, has said that um, very soon all students uh, will receive a full year of early childhood education, which I think is a good start for free. But there's a long way to go. Um, I think it's a right, not a privilege. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think we need to do more to get our kids into great early education programs? We can open the Pandora vessel right now. Okay. Because um, <laughs> I, think, I think, and that was my first impression when I started um, teaching, is that I was like, why Australia is so advanced? There's all these systems in place to provide, you know, quality education and a framework. But then, you know, you can access it from when you're four years old with a session like in Nagata, which at that time was 16 hours. And now I'm very happy that I think Victoria as well is, uh, is funding for the three years old um, program. Um, but in Europe, since you are four months old, you can access um I, well it's not daycare it's like an early learning center but it's funded by the government and you pay um you know according to your income but really provides children a consistency learning um, environment and a support to the families and it's full-time if you want part-time if you want um but it, it's important to create a consistency distancy that value on early childhood education especially when you think that between zero and three years old is the most crucial time for brain development to build that um, those executive skills the working memory to really support um, those synopsis uh, connections to build um, that foundation to, to a, success, a successful life mm -hmm. to uh, the most optimal well-being and, and so why we don't really focus on, on that uh, crucial stage, yeah. um, why we don't want to build the, the, the support, the, why we don't want to equip the next generation with tools that it will last for a lifetime and it will definitely benefit the whole society, mm -hmm. uh, if not the global community, if they travel around. Yeah. Um, this bugs me a lot. Yeah, and it's, it, it saddens me so much. Um, that that even things like pay is not reflected in in the value that we should be placing on early early childhood education, and also in my view education in general. But but I I see um, in the in the context that I'm familiar with in New South Wales, there seems to be so many. Uh, firstly, there's there's hardly any males that get into early childhood education, which I think is is, is shocking. Um, but also like it seems to be a lot of. Um, really quite young people in their early 20s. It seems to be a profession that just isn't, once you have your own family, it doesn't seem to be sustainable. Uh, we need to be paying early childhood educators much more, I think. Um, and I think we we need to 
one way of, the, of, of encouraging people to get into such a wonderful profession is reflecting the value that we place on it through through pay and other incentives. And I think it's it's shocking that we pay those that are making the most difference in the lives of our young people relatively quite poorly. Um, do you agree with that? Do we need to do more? I would say absolutely yes. Um, and it's very unfortunate that um, having worked in early learning centers, there's still a big difference also in quality um, in some private centers or government um, session of kindergartens. Um, and although there are you know, assessment and rating visits um, that those don't, do not necessarily reflect the quality of education, um, I do think, again, there's a big, big um, area of improvement for improvement in how teachers are trained and especially how, um, for example, we have our teaching assistants, like the system is, is not sustainable at the moment. Yeah. And I'm very lucky to be in a place where we have 18 children um, we have one, it's called earlier uh, assistant, which is a life teacher. So it's this lady that helps children to, you know, dress up or um, if they need any, any help, you know, we tie up shoes, sh the shoelaces and there's one in every classroom. Yeah. So that person is a life skill teacher. Yeah. Um, and then we have three people. So one is with master's and, and two with um, early child degrees and really makes a big difference. Yeah. And I'm thinking especially in the um, age group of zero, three years old, when you have um, nappy changes, when you have a lot of um, relationship-based um, learning with these young children to actually have a person that can... Um, help with that and then you you can you know set up experiences and and work more on the curriculum and um it would be fantastic you know and yeah yeah there are really structural changes that need to happen yeah um valentina i'm so grateful that um that you would have this discussion with me today and i, I know that um the success, if you like, of this podcast is due to the generosity of people like yourself that would give up their own personal time and and talk with me. And it's really refreshing to just to hear your passion from all the way over in China to Australia, um, because um, so much more needs to be done. But I, I think there's nothing more important than the way that we are educating and developing young people. It's um, it, it's the biggest privilege I think in the world and. We need more people like you to um, uh, uh, to continue to ask these questions and continue to to allow us to improve the system because there's too much at stake, I think, to get it wrong. And so uh, I'm hugely, hugely grateful. Um, I was wondering, um, Valentina, if I was sitting down with you having a coffee and I was considering getting into early childhood education, I was just about to apply for the course um, what um, what advice would you give me? I would give you, uh, I would say to you um, that you're taking on the biggest responsibility possible <laughs> because I believe teachers of any age 
are really the guardians of the society, are the ones that set the expectations of um, moral and ethical, um, just the, the way we are is thanks to teachers and families. So mm. if you really want to make a change in this world, if you really want to um, really bring your best self and and get to your best self because teaching is is a gift for that go into teaching and um for early childhood especially i believe that um zero to three is my favorite favorite age group <laughs> because it's so um not conditioned so children come with having been really conditioned by the society they don't really have a lot of um expectations they're so present you know, I cry if I'm angry, I cry if I'm hungry, or, or you know, I want your attention because this is what I need right now. And this for me has been the best lesson, like being present to how you are, how you feel, and just roll with it. And that's why young children are so open to imagine, open to perceive, to sense what's going on. And, and they just build an incredible world out of it. Yeah. And so my advice to you would be going to, you know, teaching very young children, just be open to explore yourself through the eyes. Do you feel like you learn more from your students or do you feel like they learn more from you? Do oh, definitely. Students? I learn from them every yeah. single time. And yeah. they they surprise me time. They just validate what I have been learning and researching and theorizing about early years every single day. And I, I'm just so enriched as a human being and I owe them so much because it's just, um, it's so important to give, give them the attention. I want them to be seen. I want them to be heard. Um, yeah. Cause really they're going to, you know, bring the boat yeah. um, going on in the future. So if not now, when? That That's really beautiful. Um, Valentina, I I have so many questions, um, but I think, and we will definitely have to do a round two at some point. I think we've covered a lot of ground, but the purpose of um, these conversations is to, is to not only shed light on the amazing work that educators like yourself are doing, but also to to encourage and to lift up the profession that we're all part of. Um, I'm a primary school teacher. You're an early childhood educator. We're, we're part of one system. And I think it's really wonderful to, um, to get to learn from each other. So I am incredibly grateful that you would talk to me today. Um, and um, uh, please do stay in touch because it has been so refreshing hearing your passion um, for our wonderful young people. And thank you and uh, keep going. Thank You're you. doing a great job. Yes, Yay, I might you. call you from another place of the world next time. <laughs> Please do. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. 
Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode. Thank you.